Well, if you want to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17, uh, we're going to look at God's word from there. If you did not bring a Bible, there uh, should be one in the seat near you, in front of you, uh, there at the bottom. And uh, and if you don't have one at home, we would love for you to take that home with you as a gift. And um, uh, but it's uh, it's always a joy for us as a family of faith to gather and to have our Father God actually speak to us in His Word. So that's what we're going to do uh, right now. Um, even been, uh, prior to that, though, I think it's important for us um, just to to uh, uh, to pause. Um, you know, God's Word tells us that without the power of His Spirit opening up our eyes even to see things that even though we can read these words on a page is that they'll mean nothing to us. They actually won't land or, or dig deep roots in our heart unless he does that miracle in our life. And so I want to ask him to do that. So if you would, let's bow and let's pray. Father, we uh, come to your word and we thank you for it. We thank you that we have the Bible in our language, that we can have a copy in our lap right now. It is an absolutely remarkable gift and we thank you for it. And we thank you, God, that it points us primarily not to how we should live, but how you lived, how you sent Jesus Christ to live, how you made a promise to rescue us, and then you made good on that promise by sending your only son to die and to be buried and to rise from the dead, and we give you all the praise and thanks for it. And we believe, Jesus, your word is true. That When you were on the earth, you said that the Holy Spirit would come and would illuminate our heart to be able to understand the truth of your word. And so as we read it this morning, I pray that you would give me wisdom. I pray that you would give all of us wisdom. I pray that you would speak through weakness in my own mouth, and that you would speak through distraction in our own hearts, and that you would do a miracle here this morning, even as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. So we need you, we love you, and we're grateful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's well, a new month. Uh, and uh, each new month, we have a new verse to memorize as a church family. So we want to practice that right now. This is on worship, okay? This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It should be on the board. There it is. So let's say it together, okay? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, why that verse is so significant, and if you can memorize it, that you can literally hook your life to these verses that we're memorizing. So in the course of the week, as you're just going through your job, your work, or your relationships, or friendships, or marriage, or all the things that we talk about here, what this verse is saying is that ultimately, even though you may have a boss at work, that you're really not working for that boss. And if you can remember that At the end of the day is that you are doing life unto the Lord. It's an act of worship to him. It literally will fuel you in the way that you live, in the way that you lead people, in the way that you love people. So here this morning, as we uh, march on in this uh, series this summer um, of a life of worship, we come to the worship platform called Friendship. I want you to know that you are not meant to run alone. You are not created and designed to live on this earth in isolation of friends. I think it's interesting that the very first thing God said in the whole Bible that was not good, the first denouncement in all of the Bible is it is not good for the man to be alone. You are not meant to be alone. Even if you're not married, you are not meant to be alone. 
And yet, isn't it interesting that with the rise of cities, right, where you have all these people that once lived in the country and they have all congregated and gathered together in centralized places to live. You also have online social networks where all these crowds of people gather to connect with one another. You have what they now call mega churches, which is a church over the size of a thousand inside these big cities where a lot of people, many of whom we do not know, they come together and they gather in order to worship the Lord. Isn't it interesting that in spite of all this, many people, just like this picture, still feel so alone. Some of you walk in here and you feel like this guy right in the middle, that it looks like everyone knows somebody, everyone has a friend, everyone has someone sitting next to them, and I'm literally alone. It can even be said of those who have a lot of people who know your name here, and maybe you know a lot of people's names, but you still feel alone. It's amazing that in these centralized places like cities and coffee shops and gyms and churches where a lot of people gather together, isn't it interesting that you can have more loneliness flood your heart in a crowd when you don't feel like anyone in the crowd even knows who you are. And you see, in our busy, independent culture where mobility seems to take friends away faster than they're forged, building friendships outside of the context of our family and outside of the context of romance is often tossed to the backseat of our lives. And what I want to show you today is that this is not God's plan. So he wants you to have friends for your benefit, but he also wants you to be a friend for his glory. So let's look at a few of these proverbs. Now, it's important for you to understand what a proverb is. The word proverb comes from two words. It means in place of words. And you go, well, that's stupid because I look down at my page and all there is is words. There's no pictures there. So, but if you think about it, every one of these proverbs is, tells an enormous story with as few amount of words as possible in order to get across the point. And so... When we read these, um, they don't tell all the story. What they do is they try to condense a huge topic down to a centralized truth that you can go, I can put a hook around that. And so let's read a few of these. I'm going to start in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, okay? They're also not organized, right? So it's not like there's like chapter 18 is all the ones on friendship. They're sort of scattered around, right? So I'm going to have to have you turn to a few of these, but Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. If you're new at this, the 18 is the big 18 on the page. And then there's the small verses. The small numbers are the verses. 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then turn to the passage that's on your handout there, Proverbs chapter 27, starting in verse 5 and going to verse 10. Solomon writes, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother 
who is far away. So what I want to show you as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper is two centralized truths about friendship. The first is this, is that friendship was designed by God for his glory and our good. It was created and designed and engineered by God for his glory and our good. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, which was the second proverb that we read, says a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So I want you to see in this little bitty verse, there's actually three relationships that are compared against each other. There's a man of companions, there's a friend, and there's a brother. So let's look at each one of these. A man of many companions or acquaintances knows a lot of people. He says hello to a lot of people. A lot of people know who he is, but because of the shallowness of these kinds of relationships, he's left or she's left vulnerable in the day of calamity, and therefore a man of many companions may come to ruin. In other words, these are the kind of friendships that are encouraging as you go along the day because there's people who know who you are and all of these people, but they're really not much help when you need help. They're not the people that are going to really encourage you and speak truth into your life and refine you. They're not going to be there when you're hungry or when you're sick. They just know your name. Maybe. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Well, a man with a brother is a different relationship, a sibling relationship, a family relationship. A man with a brother has someone who may not even like him, but in the day of calamity, he's going to be there because of loyalty. There's the same blood that courses through the veins. And so, and so like you and your brother or your sibling, you may not like each other or choose to vacation together or, 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 or just spend all kinds of time together, but... But you know that if you had need, if you were in the hospital, if you died, they would come to your funeral. Okay? Proverbs seventeen seventeen. this is what it said, remember? A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. God gives us siblings and one of the reasons that he gives us siblings is literally to have somebody that has loyalty in your life that even if they don't like you, they're going to be there when you really, really have a need. But then there's a third, and the third relationship is a friend. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. And what a friend is, is someone who has chosen you. And this is ultimately the incredible benefit of friendship. Your siblings don't choose you. Your children don't choose you. But your friends do. Not out of obligation, but because of desire, do they stick to him? Do they literally cleave to him or to her? And this is a tremendous gift for each one of us to have a friend. But I want you to see it's more than a gift. Because the Bible tells us that everything that's ultimately good for us is ultimately glorifying to him. And we're in a series on worship, so you knew I had to get there. How does this glorify God that we would be friends with one another? Well, friendship is a platform to worship God. You see, you and I, we were all created to be relational beings. And the reason that you are relational is because you were created in the image of a relational God. So you have the capacity to talk and to listen, to have emotion, to trust, to fear, to feel hurt, to feel betrayed. And the reason you have that capacity is because you were created in the image of God who can talk, 
and who can listen and who can, who can hear and who can feel betrayed and who can build trust. We were created in the image of God. And you see, just like this photograph of this beautiful scenery, friendships were designed to reflect God's relational nature. In other words, if the picture was cut right at the line of the water and you didn't have the reality by looking at the reflection in the water, you could have some understanding of what the reality was. Sometimes that reflection is skewed and sometimes it's sort of distorted. There may be ripples in the water that kind of mess it up. But ultimately, this is what he created you to be on the earth. This is why he created marriage. This is why he created friendship. So that people could look at the reflection of our life, how we're treating people. And they could see something true about how God treats people. We're honest because he's honest. We're kind because he's kind. We're compassionate because he's compassionate. That our friendships with one another are intended to tell other people something about him. So not only does our friendship and how we treat one another is an act of worship unto the Lord where we're saying, God, ultimately I'm doing this because you're compassionate and I'm going to be compassionate. But then other people look at a compassionate life and those kinds of friendships and relationships and, and they recognize that there is a, there's a fuel in those people that are allowing them and strengthening them to live and love and lead in these kinds of ways. And all of a sudden they may be inclined to worship the Lord as well. You see, to see the reflection was to see the source. But then all of a sudden we sinned. We broke fellowship with God and our relational compass lost its true north. It broke. It fractured. We couldn't read it. And so we began to deceive people and we began to boast and to be, and to be selfish and to hurt other people. The reflection that was designed to worship God all of a sudden on the earth, it became totally distorted. Yet the mercy of God and the love of God drove him not only to make a promise, but then to deliver upon his promise to send Jesus Christ from heaven to earth. And he did, and he came, and he lived a righteous life, and he loved perfectly, and he lived perfectly, and he led people perfectly. He did friendship perfectly, and then he went to a cross in order to pay for my imperfection and how I've lived and loved and led, and yours as well. And the Bible says that he gives us an invitation that if we would look to him and believe in him and trust in his accomplishment on the cross, that he would not only forgive us, he would fill us, he would fix our relational compass, but then he would also give us direction in how to treat one another in a way that God would be glorified and we would have tremendous benefit. And so in the New Testament... After Jesus rose from the dead, there's 58 instructions in the New Testament that include the words one another. And I want to show you six of them. Things that God's saying, I want to fix your relational compass. These things may not seem appealing to you unless God's spirit is at work in your life. So let's, let's see these, right? Love one another. Welcome one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another and build one another up. See, these are things that, that, that you were created and designed for this to be natural. And then we sinned and it became very unnatural. Our relational purpose, our, our, our whole personality was literally marred. And you say, wow, that's, that's, that's really good. But how does that glorify the Lord? And how am I ever going to have the strength to actually do that when some of the impulses in my heart say, don't do that? 
Well, this is why every time he gives us a one another command within the New Testament, he also gives us context to that command. So I want to show you the context of each one of these verses. Love one another just as I have loved you. You see it? He anchors the instruction to the gospel. Welcome one another. How? As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see what he's saying there? Why do we care about hospitality here? Right? There's a lot of people we do not know. Why do we care that we would be intentional that when we sit down, that we turn around and greet and meet a person that we don't know who they are? It's because God's welcomed us. And so our practice of friendship to one another is an act of worship to him when we welcome others. And it just may help them desire to worship him as well. Bear one another's burdens. Why? And so fulfill the law of Christ. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now look at this one. Jesus died for us so that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. God never calls you to do anything relationally for which he has not strengthened you to do. And so all of this then becomes an act of worship. So the application for us on this first point is let's esteem God's design by making room for friendship in our lives. And this is going to be very, very difficult for us. You see, there are some kinds of love that are mandatory. Friendship is the only one that's not. You have family love because it's a biological necessity. There's some loves that are a sociological necessity. Friendship is one that because we're so busy, we work and we travel and we get home and all of a sudden, perhaps there's, there's family there. And then there's this real longing in our heart. There's also a longing for romance. And so, and so it's only natural to be like, well, that's a friend. But I only have so much time. And so my time has to be spent on these relationships and only these relationships. But I want you to think about something. Whatever God calls us to do in life, he gives us enough time to do. So if he has called us to have friends and to pursue friendships, then you can be certain that he's given you enough time to do it. It may mean that you need to reprioritize your life, or a portion of it. But I would encourage you to look, not only at your need, but at his worship, is a reason for us to make room for friendship. You see, worship is our response to God's worth and his work, and so let's worship him by opening up his book and making room in preparation for God to unfold his plan of friendship in our lives. Now, what is that plan? The second point. His friendship was designed by God to bring encouragement and truth. This is really important. You need both of those. You need encouragement and you need truth. Now, before I get to these, which we'll see in a concentrated way in Proverbs 27, 5 through 10, the importance of encouragement and truth, I want to back up and I want to show you how do you discover and make a friend. 
And the reason that that's important is because how you find a friend and why you find a friend is critically important so that what you do when you have a friend should be in a line with how that friendship was even discovered. Let me show you what I mean, okay? In Solomon's day, when he's writing all of these Proverbs, you have to understand that sweet food was not engineered. It was discovered. This is why the Bible never talks about Chips Ahoy and Oreos, but it talks a lot about honey, okay? Honey was something you don't have to create. God created it. They just found it. Like, hey, you know what? Let's lick. That's sweet. I like that, right? They found fruits. They were naturally sweet, And so we weren't creating aspartame out of chemicals in order to sweeten our soft drinks and sweeten our gum and sweeten everything else. No, sweet things were discovered. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, you see what it says? The oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. What I'm saying is whatever is sweet in life, really sweet, is discovered, including friendship. So you got six billion people walking around this ball. How are you and I supposed to find and discover a friend that we enjoy as much as our favorite sweet food? And the answer is you do not look for a friend. You're like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. You don't look for a friend. We're just talking about discovering friends, and you're telling me don't go look for a friend. I'm telling you this. God made it so that friendships are formed when our heart is captivated by something apart from ourself, outside of ourself, bigger than ourself, more eternal, lasting than ourself. And so things like... Um, well, things like hobbies or, or, um, or Jesus or his mission or a basketball team. And all of a sudden what happens is you find something outside of you and all of a sudden you give yourself and you're captivated by these things. And then all of a sudden you look to the right and the left and you find other people who are captivated by the very same thing that's not you. And all of a sudden the foundation is formed so that Friendship can actually take place. You see, it's really, really important to understand this, that healthy friends spend very little time in their friendship defining their friendship because their shared affinity has already done so. You see, when you have romantic love, you spend a lot of time talking about your relationship. When you have friendship love, you spend very little time talking about your relationship because you're so captivated by the thing that's drawing you together. So you're talking about your basketball team. You're talking about your hobby. You're talking about Jesus. You're talking about the word of God. You're talking about the mission of God that says that he wants everybody to know. And so we need, we need to go on trips. We need to go tell people. We need to invest time with our neighbors, sharing the gospel and seeking to make disciples to, to help them to understand. You see, this is why life groups and mission teams find community when they're aiming for mission and they find a longing for more when they aim for community. 
When you go up to a life group or a small group or a mission trip and you say, you know what, I want to join this mission trip because you're going and we're just going to have a thing, right? Then all of a sudden you find that that was hard and it's, that, that, that you want more. You're going to find yourself disappointed. But when people go on a mission trip and they don't even know each other, and all of a sudden there's something that's beyond them, that's captivating, and all of a sudden they give their heart to this. And isn't it amazing how after like seven or eight days, people come back from the mission field from just being together, and they have this friendship that's deeper than what they've sought to manufacture over a year or two in trying to be friends with each other and trying to build community. Let's just, let's just make this about us. Friendship is built by having common affinity. And what's so cool is that God has made it like this. He's actually made it so that, so that the more eternal and the more valuable the shared affinity, the deeper that friendship can be. So some of you have friends in your life because you like NC State. Right? And that's, that's great. That's, you can do that. That can be helpful. That can be encouraging. But you know what? NC State will not live forever. And as a result of that, I know, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's true, right? <laughs> but as a result of that, that friendship can only go so deep. But if, on the other hand, your friendship is anchored to the mission of God, or the word of God, or the son of God, then all of a sudden you can have friendships like Paul had with the church in Philippi. When he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he says that I have an affection and an affinity for you. I like you. I have a heart full of love for you. And the reason that we even exist as friends is because we're partners in the gospel. We've both been to prison for the gospel. And these kinds of affinities that are beyond us create such lasting, binding effects within our heart that we say, I've got to be near this person. Because I love the mission. Because I love the Son of God. You see... Last week, we looked at marriage, and if marriage was specifically designed by God to reflect God's grace to the highest degree, then friendship was designed to reflect God's encouragement to the highest degree. See, the fact is, the mission's hard. Life is hard. Faith is hard. Family's hard. Parenting is hard. Repentance is hard. Work is hard. Suffering's hard. Sickness and death, they're all hard. And so God created friendship to encourage us and support us and remind us of God's grace and remind us of his truth so that we would keep running. David and Jonathan had a deep friendship in the Old Testament. And there was a time when David's dad, Saul, was hunting down David. And Jonathan was burdened because he knew David was discouraged. And this is what it says. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life and Jonathan's son Saul's son rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. We all need Jonathans in our life. People that see us when we're falling and seeing us when our head's getting too big and see us in different places of life and they come and they say, I want to strengthen your hand in God. I want to remind you of God's promises. I want to remind you of what's coming when we get to heaven. I want to re- remind you of the importance of the mission. I want to re- remind you 
want to remind you that God forgives you even when you blow it. We need friends. And this is ultimately, I think, what Solomon is saying here in Proverbs 27. Starting in verse 5, he says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Well, what's, the, what's the wounds of a friend? Well, the wounds of a, of, of a friend are the words that need to be heard, but nobody wants to say. They're words that companions and acquaintances, where we just know their name, either wouldn't think to say them to us, they don't have the courage to say them, or there's not enough trust built up in that relationship to where you would listen to it from them. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Things that nobody wants to hear, that everyone needs to hear. Things like you shouldn't talk to your husband like that. You shouldn't treat your kids like that. You should not break up and end a dating relationship with an image bearer of God over a text. We need friends to tell us that. You shouldn't go on American Idol. I know the show is over, but the first two weeks of American Idol showed the need for America to have friends, right? People got up there, yeah, I can sing, I can sing. That person has no friends, nobody in their life to say, I'm going to give you the kiss, the, the true gift of friendship right now by saying, this is not God's plan for your life, right? Just know it's not. We all need that. We all get confused and distorted and we think that we're going down the right path and we need a friend sometimes to say, you know what? That's not what he has for you. That's when he goes on. He says, one who is full loathes honey. What, what does this mean? What it means is this, is that when someone's full of themselves, they don't need more of themselves. We should pity a person who's so full of himself and yet only has people around him that tell him how great he is. But to the one who's hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. What does this mean? It means to have a friend who feeds our hungry soul with truth, even sometimes when that truth needs to be bitter, is a sweet blessing. Having truth-giving, encouragement-giving friends who lean upon the capital of their previous investment in our life as a friend in order to exhort us or to refine our character or to plead with us, as verse 8 says, to be faithful in your home, to protect our home, to not stray from our home like a bird. All of this brings tremendous gladness to heart at the end of the road. We need people to say, keep being faithful. Stick in there. Go to work. We need the encouragement and truth of a friend. So two things. As applications, let's pursue friendships that encourage one another in truth. We all need friends to stir us up to love and good deeds. I want you to know that this kind of friendship is not efficient. It takes so much time, which is why this kind of friendship normally gets to the back seat. So I would really encourage you to keep up with your digital friend networks, but make sure that you have enough time spent in pursuing a handful of real ones. The second thing I would encourage you is let's look to Jesus in faith who made us a friend. You see, in friendship, we hurt people. It's only natural for that friend sometimes to hurt us back. 
The beautiful thing about Jesus is that we hurt him and inflicted wounds upon him. And instead of retaliating, Jesus took the wounds. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You see, you've never had a better friend than Jesus. He laid down his life for you. He gave you an invitation for forgiveness. And because he was such a friend to us and is such a friend for us, not only can we come to a table like this without shame, but we can treat one another without shame. We can care for one another, lead one another, and love one another in a way that bears witness of his wisdom and his love and his kindness right here on the earth. So for those of us who've trusted Christ, he's given us this Lord's Supper to remember his display of friendship to us. So I want to ask those that will be serving if you would come at this point. Jesus told us to take of these two elements. There's some bread here and there's a cup here. And the bread and the cup, they're symbolic, the bread of the body of Jesus Christ and the cup of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our forgiveness of sins. What the Bible tells us is that when we do this, that we're supposed to do this specifically for two reasons and in one context. The two reasons are that we are to remember what Jesus has done for us. And second, we are to declare our continued faith in Jesus is the only hope that we have. So for you to take these things is to treasure them. So if you don't know Christ, we would ask you just to let them pass. But if you do take them, if you do know Christ, if you do seek right now to remember what he's done and to proclaim to each other by you holding them and taking them, that I believe this. He says there's a context for us, and that is after we've examined our hearts. So as these things are being passed, and you just have just a minute or two, I would ask you just to ask the Lord, is there any sin in my life which I've not confessed and go ahead and take this time right now and say, God, I ask that you would forgive me for that because he wants to, us to take this with a clean and pure heart. And so on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took these elements and he gave thanks to God. We're going to do that now. So if you would bow as we pray, we're awesome.